AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So Stan, uh, some news about a data breach out of the health industry, correct? Uh, that's right, Joe. Uh, I was actually reading this article on bleepingcomputer.com and appointed to this SEC filing uh, in which Quest Diagnostics mentioned that they received a uh, notice from one of their collections agencies that that collections agency believes that a database with uh, private information for about 11.9 million customers uh, has been breached and was uh, accessible by somebody who wasn't supposed to be able to access it. So the collections agency, not Quest itself? Right, not Quest itself. Okay. So Quest had to do the SEC filing for the breach, but really it's their uh, subcontractor, their you know affiliate partner that uh, had the issue. Uh, so in a sense, the breach is kind of segregated because of the supplier or the vendor that, that was compromised. Okay. Um, what I found interesting is actually I like to always go back to the source of the data and read. I read this SEC filing, uh, and I, I'm just looking at interesting things like uh, the breach was reported to um, Quest on May 14, 2019. Uh, so that wasn't that long ago because we, you know, the, this filing was made like June 3rd. So it's about 15 days for them to understand what happened, uh -huh. get the details, and then make the appropriate, you know, filing. So that's pretty good. But the breach itself, they believe, uh, at least that's what the credit, uh, the billing collections agency is telling them actually happened between August 1st of 2018 last year uh -huh. and uh, the end of March this year. So it was about an eight, eight month um, time frame there. In these things, you can't say it's anybody's fault necessarily for like the how long it took. It just sometimes, uh, you know, this is the way it is. Um, it takes, you know, it takes something strange or strange behavior that goes unnoticed and suddenly becomes new because maybe a new technology was introduced into the process right. and they were able to find it. Um, and they did mention that, you know, we had financial information that was lost, some kind of medical information and uh, personal information like social security numbers and things like that. Um, so it's very unfortunate. And they did mention, you know, these 11.9 million people, almost 12 million people. Is there anything about whether customers were notified? Um, it's not clear from the SEC filing okay. uh, if they were notified or not, uh, but I did actually like It's actually a very concise summary here, yeah. uh, very well worded in the SEC filing. You would think it's going to be some kind of very complicated statement, uh, but they do mention that you know, since this moment that they found out, they're working with law enforcement, they're right. working with different security partners and vendors to, let, uh, to figure out what happened. You know, they're real direct, real explicit about what happened, uh, what's being done, who's working on it, what they're working on, and uh, you know, really, it seemed like a thorough response to to this kind of incident. I read in one of the reports that the uh, the subcontractor, the billing collector, uh, was he had to call in some external help to do forensics and investigate it. They likely didn't have their staff in their own, in, you know firm that was capable of doing the kind of investigation necessary to figure out what all was potentially exposed. So, you know, they, I, I read that they brought in some, an outside firm to help with forensics, and then they're also working with law enforcement. So that, that's another issue with the, the subcontractors is what kind of staff do they have 
you know, to do these kinds of investigations, um, you know, what kind of instrumentation do they have in place to detect things like this? Well, especially if they're if they're handling sensitive information, you know, you, you just expect their responsibility. You know, you could say they're small, they're they're you know unprepared, but if they're handling sensitive information, health information, privacy information, there has to be some expectation of you know good security practice. That's that's just a minimum bar. That's a great point, and it's something to be aware of as you're drafting different uh, contracts with vendors about what their your expectations are. Uh, for their security response, uh, for their monitoring and things like that. So for you know, large, medium, any kind of business, understanding the security considerations of your suppliers and vendors, especially when it comes to handling uh, your, your own customers' private information, is very important. So Jim, I think you have an interesting story about a brand new vulnerability, something to do with blue. I uh, hope it's not eternal blue. Yeah, well, it could be as bad as Eternal Blue. Oh, no. um, yeah, this one is, last month uh, on patch day, Microsoft released a patch for a vulnerability in the remote desktop services and WinRM. And the, uh, the folks who rate these things gave it a CVSS score of 9.8. Wow. which is pretty darn high. The, the big issue with this one is that the exploit is uh, wormable. If a capable adversary was able to exploit it, they could make um, a virus that can spread very quickly to a lot of devices. And uh, we had made a lot of comparisons about uh, the similarity to WannaCry and how quickly that spread because it was a wormable uh, vulnerability as well. And back in 2017 with Eternal Blue and, the, and WannaCry, it was a good two or three months after the, the vulnerability was patched before it started spreading, but there were still so many unpatched systems that, that you know, that it still was a huge impact to a lot of organizations. And that's what Microsoft is really getting at with this one, is everybody needs to be patching this vulnerability. They, they actually, Microsoft actually went to the um, effort of releasing patches for Windows XP, wow. Windows 7, uh, you know, uh, Server 2003, I think. I think the way Microsoft is handling it sort of, sort of shows us the sort of criticality of it, that they're um, releasing patches for OS's very far back, unsupported operating systems. The folks that preempt are the ones that found it, and they, they actually found it last August and reported it to Microsoft. And it has taken Microsoft you know, eight, nine months to get a, a working patch out there. Yeah. And I am aware of a number of people uh, who have reversed, reverse engineered the patch and created exploits that they're sitting on right now. Uh, they haven't released the proof of concept yet, uh, even though the patch is out, to give time for people to patch it, because this one could be 
this one could be really nasty. So, so Jim, you said that you know the sort of rumor mill says that the the exploits are waiting on more prominent distribution of the patches. You think though? The research. I, I know a number of researchers who are are sitting on exploits, waiting for the patches to be more widespread. Okay. They just they don't want to give the bad guys a leg up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think one important thing about the patching of the systems. I think during WannaCry, a lot of people learned that there are non-traditional. Uh, like Windows operating deployments out there. For example, there's all these devices. They're kind of like I, the old school IoT devices, uh, but they're running like a Windows subsystem. So like yeah. room scheduling devices right. or different like billboards, even at airports that might have Windows running underneath. So sometimes those intentionally expose um, 3389 RDP so that an administrator can log in and, and you know do something there. Um, so for those systems, uh, they might not be set up to do, you know, patching the way that some of these, you know, desktops these days are set up. So I think most users, like with modern operating systems of Windows, like Windows 10, Windows 8, 7, they'll probably be protected because they most likely have automated patching turned on. So they'll probably be okay. But it's going to be these other systems, kind of like on the underlying infrastructure uh, that probably will experience some sort of a problem, you know, if it comes to... Yeah, exactly. The kiosks, the point-of-sale terminals, those are the ones that, you know, are a big concern. Yes. Absolutely. So, we'll have to wait for two or three months to figure out uh, what happened, if everything got patched or not. Yep. Keep our eye on it. You know, consider all your assets, anything with Windows at this point, and uh, make sure it all gets patched. So Joe, I understand you got a story about uh, some ransomware authors that are retiring? Yep, exactly. Yeah, I picked this up from ThreatPost, kind of an interesting one that, you know, we don't talk about this end of it, but on the dark web, uh, some researchers picked up on the authors of the GANCRAB ransomware issuing a statement that they're, they're retiring, that they're shutting down their infrastructure and they're going to um, not do any more decryptions, and that the GAN crab ransomware is no longer operating. So, um, you know, the, it was as of June 1st they shut it down, and it was a little over a year. It started in January of 2018. Um, so, GAN crab kind of, you know, a pretty prominent ransomware. It, it does, you know, standard ransomware, ransomware as a service. Uh, categories by the encrypted files getting a .gdb gdcb file extension, so that's where you know GANCRAB comes from. Um, available in a host of vectors, spam, uh, fake software downloads, exploit kits, um, social engineering targeted uh, ransomware. Um, but yeah, and the the. Dark post, the dark web post basically said they, the authors claim to have made two billion dollars, uh, which they equate to approximately two point five million dollars per week. So between the ransomware as a service and the the fees paid directly to the uh, ransomware operators, you know, two billion in you know about eighteen months, um, and and from this point forward they they issued a warning: no further decryptions if you 
purchase the ransomware now, meaning you operate it, you're not going to get files back for any uh, future victims. You know, this is kind of the other end of the spectrum. This is the, the malicious actor's view of their post to the dark web saying, you know, we're done, we've washed all our money, we've made a, a huge bounty, and we're, you know, getting out of the business. I just thought it was interesting, you know, we, we're always looking at from, you know, how to protect yourself from ransomware, but, you know, a real kind of a glimpse into what it's like to be somebody who is cashing the checks for these things, so. Um, I don't know, what do, you, what do you think, Stan or Jim? I'm hopeful that the that law enforcement will catch these guys. And yeah, I agree. I mean, with this, this level of kind of braggadocious, you know, mentality, posting on the dark web and, uh, you know, you, you hope there's some investigator who's, you know, hidden in there somewhere, you know, pertorting to be a, 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 you know, one of their buddies that's actually in law enforcement and maybe they'll... Uh, come to justice, but that that's not the way the uh, the story is told right now. It almost reminded me of another malware author uh, who wrote Mirai, who did something similar. So the creator of the Mirai source code, I believe, um, just put it out there and made this big statement of, of some sort and said, you know, you'll never catch me or something like that. Yeah. And then immediately, like a few months later, was caught by, I believe, maybe the FBI or for certain, you know, law enforcement. Right. Um, so I wonder if it's just something to kind of, maybe they feel the heat is on and they're just trying to put this false statement out. Yeah, there. I mean, I did read that um, there's been a bunch of decryptors released lately. So they're sort of, uh, leverage is declining, the, the subscriptions for the ransomware are decreasing as well, so it also kind of feels like they're getting out before the, the market collapses. Market cla exactly, before everybody realizes that their stuff's not valuable anymore, so it could be a little bit of both. The, the other concern, yeah, there have been some of these decryptors coming out lately, but anybody who, is, you know, who gets infected with this now, now that the back-end infrastructure is shut down, that doesn't mean that all of the, you know, all of the websites that were spreading it, all of the exploit kits that were spreading it have removed it. So it's back to what we always talk about, the, the, the best defense against ransomware is good backups yep. so that yep. you can recover your stuff in case, yeah, in case the bad guys choose not to give you a key, even if you do pay. Right. But now, in this case, where it might not be possible to pay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you gotta pray that there's some sort of decryptor posted that you can find and figure out how to implement. Because yeah, there's no one to pay anymore. The lesson here is you have to be careful about what you click on. Be careful what you do online, um, and. Uh, Maybe don't even believe everything you read. <laughs> hey Joe, how are you today? Good. So I have the internet weather for this week, um, and we'll start with the top 10 most broke ports. Uh, this week, um, our, you know, there's not many changes um, from the usual, from the norm. It's all the same top uh, ports that are being scanned as usual. This is by volume. Um, I know, I think, uh, Last time, John talked about port 8089, which is an ultimate web port. So what I decided to do is look at port 5555 TCP. This is something that we've covered quite a bit in the past. So let's just see you know, what the activity looks like today 
based on previous activity. All right. So it looks like you know this port came on our radar probably sometime in January of 2018. Uh, this is going back almost three years, 900 days of activity against this port. This is just a scan probe activity. Um, if you just look at like the last 30 days, which is just the last few lines there, you'll see it's pretty similar to what it has always been. But just looking across three years, it's pretty amazing uh, to see the change. So just to help you understand, I decided to look at um, this port uh, in the, our honeypot data and just quantify uh, what's happening there. Um, and so surprisingly, RDP is actually making up about 50% of the requests that we see on this port, specifically RDP brute forcing. So you see what I did here in, the, in that corner is uh, took a look at the top usernames that we're observing hitting the, um, this honeypot. They're a little bit unusual, like uh, perhaps the scanner or the brute forcer that the adversaries are using is not configured correctly. Perhaps this is just a way to test for honeypots. Uh -huh. uh, I'm not sure, uh, but it is uh, kind of strange uh, to see you know, usernames like that. Yeah, so it's administ almost like administrator truncated to that yes. R character. Yes, exactly. The test, I mean, maybe not that. You know, I guess some tools probably could deliver with a default username of test, maybe an internal test. Exactly. Thing. But then hello, I don't think we see a username of hello very often. No, I don't think so. You're right. So I'm thinking that this could be, you know, when the adversary is scanning, he's probably looking for usernames that are, uh, you know, uh, legitimate, but he doesn't want to give those up yet. Uh, so he's just testing with something silly. Uh, just the first to pull time out that connects, string. Just to see if anything comes back. Is the honeypot? Is it a honeypot? Is this a real RDP server? And I'm pretty sure you know some very common security tools do the same thing. Okay. Um, so they just send like a value like this. So, uh, but it is interesting to see the variation mm -hmm. uh, and and how that looks like. Okay. So uh, okay. So that's one of the protocols. Well, next, let's move on to HTTP. Uh, so this is another protocol we see on this. This one is actually related to a very very old. Um, CVE. Um, there's a couple of different URLs that we're seeing, and it's a well-known exploit. I think it's um, TR064 or TR069 is the protocol that's running on some types of like, it's not IoT devices, but it's more like routers. Mm -hmm. um, so here's just an example. This is a very recent example of malware being distributed. Um, I think this particular sample um, is already, uh, you know, been analyzed by multiple different security researchers. Uh, so this is well known as well. Um, the next thing, you know, now we're getting into this. Some people connect to this port and do nothing. Um, and then we have as well um, XMR, which is the um, like cryptocurrency mining. So some time ago, it was discovered that. Um, you know, there's different vulnerabilities, but there's also like these uh, mining pools that are out there that you can connect to and either donate Bitcoin or maybe take or contribute. So we see a, some amount of scanning activity for um, this um, you know, cryptocurrency mining servers on this port as well. Um, finally, uh, this is a well-known port for the Android debug bridge. So you could see there's a, a couple of flows where somebody is trying to exercise this ADB protocol with the honeypot, uh, but it does not make the majority of what's happening. 
a lot of it is just trying to see what kind of a web server there is, and some of it is this old exploit, which has been attributed to things like Mirai and variants of Mirai. So that was interesting to, to sort of investigate what potential uses are of a sort of non-standard uh, use of a port. Um, and now we move on to the top 10 most sources probing. So in the top spot is port 445 CCP. And actually something new, we didn't do the internet weather last week, but from last week, um, this port 65529 TCP mm -hmm. is actually gone up. And it's actually gone up uh, significantly from the week before. Uh, the week before it had gone up uh, many places because that's not a port we usually see. So I decided to take a deeper look at that as well and see what's going on. Is there a new botnet? Is there a new type of device that might be infected, a new type of exploit or vulnerability? Um, so let's dive in. So first, uh, this is back from April 23rd, just okay. the last 900 days of activity on this port. And you can actually see here the rise of WannaCry. Right. So right, right up until here, there was an old Windows Trojan backdoor worm that was scanning and trying to infect Windows devices. Configure, right? Uh, Configure, yes, that's right. And you see this little spike right here. That spike is the weekend that everyone found out about WannaCry, yeah. and they took action and it really went down. But after that weekend, activity actually got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And you can see how it kind of petered out or whatever. It, 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 it reached the peak and started going down. So uh, so what do you think happened uh, since then? Are we worse, better, or uh, I'm going to say we are worse. Uh, <laughs> we are uh, a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah. It's good to be wrong in that exactly. context. Um, so, you know, the activity is still, I mean, look at it, it is huge. We're yeah. technically still worse than we've been two years ago. Yeah. Uh, lots of infected devices out there that are doing scanning. Um, Interesting. So case. hopefully this will continue going down. I'm sure that next week things will stabilize and I'm hopeful that it will keep going down. So now let's uh, refocus on this brand new port, 65529 TCP. So you can see this is just 30 days of activity. And in the last 30 days, we never knew about this port. Nobody was really scanning for it, except here it looks like um, maybe the 22nd or 23rd or in the middle there, you know, it's activity started. All of a sudden, a bunch of devices started looking for this. And you could see, you know, between one and 1.5 thousand initially devices all scanning for this port. But then, um, you know, the numbers started climbing. So f between four and 4,000 devices per hour scanning for this. Um, so this is usually typical of a concerted scanning effort and potentially even the bottom. And you could see how quickly it ramped up here, yeah. 2.5. That's normally uh, what we do see as devices become compromised or infected. So this is definitely something to keep an eye on. We're not quite sure what it is yet, uh, but it does seem like there are many devices predominantly in Asia. Um, that are scanning the internet for this port um, all of a sudden. So this is um, during an initial, uh, I guess, phase when this thing was just spreading. There was about 400 IP addresses. You could see that in Latin America and South America, there's some hotspots, but mainly in Asia um, and a little bit there in Northern Africa and mm -hmm. a little bit in India, I guess. Uh, but a lot of the activity seems to be coming from Asia, China yeah. region. It could be because you know, I don't know what this is, but maybe the types of devices that are vulnerable to this just happen to be in, in Asia, um, and maybe some get sold to, you know, these areas as well. 
Um, at a later point in time, uh, you could see there's many more mm -hmm. uh, devices impacted, and you could see that China really starts, you know, yeah. as the worm is spreading, uh, or as this problem is spreading potentially, there's many more uh, devices that are implicated, and it really does seem to be emanating and concentrating in China. I also did a little bit of a study of Shodan, okay. just to see you know, these IP addresses, what are they? What kind of ports are they listening to? Sometimes that's helpful because you can get a sense of, well, these are all cameras or these are uh, something else. But in this case, I couldn't find a clear pattern. Okay. So I took random IP addresses and tried them and there was no pattern that emerged. You know, some weren't listening on any port that Shodan knew about. Others were listening on common IoT ports. So it seemed to be uh, inconclusive in that regard. So we'll have to keep an eye on this one and hopefully it doesn't turn into something um, uh, super evil. And that's cool. it for this week's Internet Weather. Thanks, Dan. The views expressed on AT&T Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.